The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. An imminent deal, but there is a catch. Ireland's foreign minister says a snag over fisheries has delayed the Brexit deal announcement, but says he expects an agreement to be unveiled today. British banks, apparently the biggest gainers, rallying to the top of the stock 600 on the hope of an agreement, while small cap stocks here in the UK hit a record high. Sterling also rallies as negotiators work on the final legal text of a Brexit agreement, which is expected to be unveiled by UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen sometime today. And President Trump vetoes a $740 billion defence bill, breaking with the Republican-led Senate and raising the prospect of a government shutdown. So welcome back, everybody. Uh, It's nine o'clock here in London, uh, 10 o'clock in Central Europe. We thought we might have had the bare bones of a Brexit announcement by this point, given the indications we were getting last night that a a deal announcement would be pushed into the morning. And there were some uh, timelines thrown down, not least about 8.30. We were expecting some kind of press conference and announcement around the detail of the fisheries aspect of the deal. That soft deadline has now been passed and we are still at a point where we are waiting for a formal announcement on a press conference. And we've had Simon Coveney, the Irish Foreign Minister, uh, make the running ultimately in what is an information vacuum, suggesting that there is a last-minute snag around the details on fisheries that are being addressed at this stage. So as soon as we know something, you will know something. But at least we are getting some movement in those markets that are trading this morning in anticipation, effectively, that we will put to bed the uh, 11 months or so of wrangling we've seen over the Brexit negotiations with this even more hard deadline, of course, of January the 1st, Karen. I think more broadly on some of the European markets that are trading today, the, the absence of news flow that we thought we would have before the market opened, just damaging some of that optimism. So we've drifted off some of the high levels that we had on the, the stock market uh, levels. So 65012, roughly, where we're perched uh, only about a 10 of a percent on the FTSE trade versus uh, what we're seeing on the French market, similar tune and across the rest of Europe. But uh, keep in mind, it is a half day today. So that is a challenging window. We're waiting for a big 2000 page document to hit uh, for some news flow uh, around this breakthrough. The market will have to quickly digest before the indices then shut for Christmas. So uh, it's quite a, a tentative time for a lot of traders and investors at this point. But underlying some of these markets, we are seeing activity in the home builders, the Banking stocks also concentrated around some of the smaller indices, the mid-cap indice, for instance, are bouncing towards some of those February levels. So uh, there are asset classes moving underlying this index. Uh, Just a quick note as we wrap up uh, these half-day of trades on some of these markets, other European indices are shut today. The DAX and the SMI, so German and Swiss stocks, will not be reacting to any major news flow. They're already signed off for the Christmas break. Uh, So this is what we've got to to trade in terms of the broader indices at this point. Meantime, Britain and the EU are expected to 
to unveil a post-Brexit trade agreement as early as this morning. Talks continued through the night with apparently pizza ordered in as the negotiators reportedly fine-tuned the last-minute details on fishing rights that has been the main sticking point during the nine months of talks. The two sides are expected to make an official announcement later today. The deal document, as I pointed out, was said to be a mammoth, about 2,000 pages, with both sides having until the 31st of December, right on New Year's Eve, to seek parliamentary approval. Uh, the individual stock trades, you can see how mixed it is from energy stocks that are declining, uh, commodities that are on the back foot to, to some of the outside uh, earners, uh, dollar earners under pressure to uh, what we're seeing in terms of a bounce in some of the major UK lenders from Barclays to Lloyd's very much been sought over. So there are competing themes around concerns still with this new variant of COVID, uh, borders being reopened though for freight, a very mixed picture that is taking place as investors are trying to position around the Brexit news but still contend with some of the other bigger picture issues. Let's just drill down to those UK banks that are moving on uh, hopes around Brexit developments and you can see it in the price on Lloyd's. It was even stronger when it popped open for trade. It was a little bit slow to start the session uh, which suggests perhaps in the background the amount of volume that might have been coming into that trade. Uh, we've got 4.9% uh, bounce but it was uh, roughly about 6 odd percent plus on the open. Barclays 3.3% and all the other banks as you can see being supported at this stage. I want to take you back to Sterling and uh, what we're seeing on the crosses. It's been an extraordinary uh, morning session. The intraday trade has been worth watching. We climbed up to about the 136.05 at one point, taking us back to mid-2018 levels. But we've also been lower than this, around the 135.5 mark intraday. So investors are uh, trying to work out whether the news flow is positive or negative for the trade at this point. And eight-tenths of a percent higher is where we approached. Uh, we've also been around a three-week high on euro sterling versus the euro. And let's take a look what we're seeing in the mid-cap space. I mentioned some of the highs, uh, February highs we've witnessed on some of these trades. And uh, you can see we've got a bounce taking place here. We're up about half of a percent currently. Small cap stocks too. Another big beneficiary as investors uh, look deeper down in some of these UK market trades to try and position around the news flow. Eight-tenths in the green. I want to get out to Sylvia for a little bit more. She has been closely eyeing the developments and what it means. Uh, Sylvia, just give us a sense of where we stand. I know the market is closely dissecting it in commentary around fishing rights and just how much both sides may have moved. What I can tell you is that, Andy, the, the, the reason why we haven't seen an announcement yet, the reason why negotiators are still gathered in Brussels is because of the fisheries. So there's still no breakthrough when it comes to fishing, right? And that is why this announcement is taking longer than initially, initially expected. But nonetheless, the overall message is that, indeed, that there will be a trade deal between the UK and the EU. I can tell you from my reporting experience that this is the first time that I hear European officials and UK officials um, giving precise and concrete uh, words that, that, that do indicate that there will be a trade deal, that that's the direction of travel that indeed they are expecting. But when it comes to Brexit, let's keep in mind that nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. And so there is still a slight chance that things might still fall apart. But nonetheless, that is definitely definitely not the main expectation where we stand right now. Now, I have to say that these negotiations have been going on throughout the night. 
Yesterday afternoon, we were told that there was going to be a breakthrough at some point and on, two, on, on, on Wednesday, I should say. And, but that is indeed, has indeed carried out throughout the night and we're still expecting, we're still awaiting that announcement. When it comes to press conferences, we still don't know the exact timings. I keep chasing both sides of these negotiations and they, the message is still that they don't know as of yet. But when it comes to Brexit, things could move quickly and an announcement on press conferences and an announcement on a potential deal could take place rather quickly. But let's take a look at the next step if indeed we get a trade deal um, this morning and that would be the ratification of this trade deal. When it comes to the UK side, the UK lawmakers would have to approve it. But when it comes to that, we don't expect any sort of major surprise, given how big the majority of the Conservative Party is in the House of Commons. From an EU perspective, things are slightly more complicated. The original, original plan included that European lawmakers would be approving, would be scrutinizing this deal before the end of the year. That for now is very unlikely. There's no time to do that. And so the way around that is that the EU would likely approve this deal provisionally and then ask European lawmakers to debate it and to scrutinize it in the new year. And the way that the EU could do that would be by calling a meeting between the 27 European ambassadors. That meeting has not been called as of yet. So for the time being, what we do know is that the direction of travel is toward the trade deal. But for the time being, we still don't know the precise timing, timings of when will this be announced. And more importantly, what's the substance of this deal? What sort of fishing rights European fishermen will have in UK waters? what's their arrangement over the level playing field and how they will essentially be uh, the governance of their deal how will that take place going forward as well so where we stand right now that we still have quite a lot of uncertainty i'm afraid Sylvia, thank you very much for walking us through where we stand and trying to dig into the timing around any potential announcement. Ireland's foreign minister says an 11th hour snag on an agreement over fisheries has delayed the Brexit deal announcement. However, he added that he does expect an announcement to be made today. So uh, I guess that's disrupted all of our Christmas Eve plans, right? Yes. Um, well, I hope you haven't got too much shopping to do at this point. Just cooking. I was meant to start cooking the puccini mushroom risotto to go in a stuffing for the turkey. We're all coming to your house for Christmas, <laughs> I think. Um, You'd be welcome by the rules. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll stand outside. I'll have mine on a plate, thank you, with a <laughs> fork. Um, Callum Pickering is with us, Senior Economist for Berenberg Bank. Callum, obviously, we're, we're all just speculating at the moment as to, to what the detail of a deal might look like at this point. But just help us understand if a deal is signed at this point, what difference does that make to the kind of forecasts you have in mind for the UK in growth terms next year? Will it make very much difference given that most of the growth prospects seem to be tied to how well we bounce back from COVID? Um, you're right. The cyclical recovery from the coronavirus recession is the key issue into next year. However, the trade deal between the UK and the EU, assuming that it's signed, will decidedly impact the 
momentum of that recovery in a positive way. So it removes, it takes off the table four and a half years of Brexit uncertainty, which has badly harmed UK business investment. It's hurt real wages. Much of this would get reversed fairly quickly into 2021. So I would probably make the case that if we have this deal, the UK can get back to its pre-pandemic levels of GDP by, say, end 2022. However, if there was a hard exit, there would be some near-term disruption, significant disruption in Q1, followed by weaker potential growth for the next two years, and probably the recovery would happen some six, 12 months later than that. So there's a considerable difference versus a deal and a no-deal scenario. This, of course, therefore is good news for the UK. Financial services makes up a, a very significant chunk of uh, UK as uh, UK activity, um, and yet, um, from what we understand of the deal that's currently on the table, it doesn't really give us too much uh, in terms of uh, financial services um, green lighting and equivalents. There are also some questions around uh, data, data handling and equivalents. How concerned are you about those two particular aspects if they remain unresolved? Um, I am not especially concerned about the impact of Brexit on UK financial services. I have long warned that Brexit will lower UK potential growth, perhaps substantially. I think we're going to be going from around 2% inside the EU to around 1.7% in case of a deal. But for financial services... London is the centre for uh, finance in Europe for lots of reasons beyond the fact that the UK was part of the single market. All of those good reasons will remain in place. That's rule of law. It's, it's the competitive regulatory environment. Uh, it's language, it's geography, it's supply chains. And hence, what we will probably see, as we have already seen so far, is some modest losses for the very big London that look like big gains for the much smaller Paris, Frankfurt. Dublin, um, by and large, those losses are much smaller than anticipated when the UK left the EU. I actually think the bigger risk for London in the long run is actually competition from the likes of New York. Now the UK has lost its competitive edge, exporting finance to the big European market. Callum, uh, the Bank of England has been uh, memorying around negative interest rates, uh, discussing with banks about the implications and uh, every other press conference uh, keeping alive the prospect that its uh, pool of uh, tools is, is much deeper than, than the market thinks. If we get a deal today, if we have some form of an agreement, does that remove a, a large negative and also the chance of a move into negative territory on the cash rate? Yes, it takes off the table a big downside risk for the medium-term economic outlook for negative interest rates, I actually don't see a good argument as to why you would want a negative deposit rate in the UK. Inflation expectations are above the Bank of England's 2% target. The transmission mechanism of its existing policies is working well, and there's still plenty of room to expand existing policies. So even in case of a hard exit, I don't see a good argument for a negative interest rate. Internally at the Bank of England, I think the Bank of England is much more concerned about being prepared for negative rates just in case, but I actually don't think that the mood on the MPC is favorable towards negative rates anytime soon. So I find the market pricing for negative rates a little bit odd. And I think probably what we will find is some of that expectation gets unwound on the back of a deal. Take your point on that, because I was just uh, comparing the, the two-year gilt yield at minus 0 0.09 versus the two-year on the U.S. Treasury at 0.12. And there is a gap that we're talking about here on that, that short end. So are you saying we could move back into positive territory on that uh, short end yield on the gilt? 
yeah, I think reasonable nominal growth expectations for the next two years in the UK look very, very strong indeed. So the, the, the yield curve looks low relative to that. But of course, it's the Bank of England's intention to keep gilt yields low to try and support the economy through this coronavirus pandemic. But this is a much broader story across the advanced world. I don't see actually a strong signal in the long end of the curve or indeed in the short end of the curve that tells me reasonably where nominal growth will be in 2021. We're likely to get a very big synchronized global upswing once the pandemic starts to fade. That's probably going to happen by spring already. So the bond markets is probably where we're going to see some action this year across the board. And it's going to be the job of central banks actually to lean against rising inflation and, and growth expectations before we get back to pre-pandemic levels of GDP as to not disrupt the economy, uh, the, the recovery too much. Open the door to a conversation around inflation, Callum, because we've been watching very closely movement and pound. And if there is a significant pickup, and we did hear from one commentator early in the week suggesting a higher 130s level could be the course of trade. I mean, there's not complete agreement on that. But if we did see some movement higher in sterling, what would that do to inflation? Where at this point around COVID, we have seen a slight pickup in food pricing. Yeah. Well, we, we have to be careful not describing a rise in food prices as inflation. Inflation is when the general price level goes up and we've got some very interesting relative price moves because of the pandemic. So food prices go up, but price of entertainment, some aspects of retail have come down. So we need to be aware that COVID is a disinflationary shock, uh, that the highest sterling that will come from the deal will add to those disinflationary pressures. But over a two, three-year basis, once we return to full employment, once we get back to pre-pandemic levels of GDP, I actually think we're heading into a more inflationary environment. And, and, that, and again, that's not the UK story, but that's a story across the advanced world. We have some uh, deglobalization in goods trade, which will continue. We also have a big um, positive contribution to domestic demand coming from fiscal policy around the world. So by and large, this reverses the trend of the last decade, the post Lehman upswing. So we're probably going to be a bit above 2% rates, probably mid-decade versus a bit below 2% rates as we've been in the last decade. Good to have you on the programme. Thanks for joining us this morning. Callum Pickering, Senior Economist for Berenberg Bank. Quick look at the cable rate as we run to break here. We're 135.83. We sort of stabilised around these levels after that sharp uptick uh, earlier on in the morning as there was expectation around a Brexit agreement. Now people are just drumming their fingers, I think, waiting for a proper announcement. And here's a shot that we will keep locked on to. This is 10 Downing Street here in London. We're waiting uh, to see the Prime Minister emerge at some point this morning to tell us a little bit more about how this deal was achieved. The Irish Foreign Minister Simon Coveney says there will be an announcement today, so we'll take his word on it. We'll be right back, everybody. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
Brexit has been a multi-year story as we waited out for any uh, key developments on a trade agreement today. Uh, let's take a quick look back at some of the key moments in the Brexit saga as we uh, take our view right back to, to 2016 when the UK voted to leave the single market. Nearly a year later, talks officially began. In November of 2018, the UK then agreed to the draft Brexit withdrawal agreement, but in January, MPs rejected Theresa May's deal. Fast forward to January of this year, when UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson then got his Brexit deal, the withdrawal agreement built through Parliament, ushering in the transition period, which officially ends in January when the UK leaves the EU. A quick look at uh, Sterling, which has been moving fairly aggressively morning session at 1.36, so at one point, uh, but now reversing 135.83. So certainly not a sleepy old trade this morning. And we've been around uh, a three-week high on euro sterling as well. So there's certainly been movement on the foreign exchange market. And just a quick point to the UK and EU are expected to hold press conferences later this morning, unveiling the deal. The question is when and uh, how much longer do we have to wait? All morning. Do you think they'll just take right up until the last minute? Yeah, 11.45. Uh, well, at this point, it's difficult to know what the, the reason is for the uh, delay, isn't it? Um, you know, Sylvia's been on standby at home in Portugal all the way through the morning. And I think she was up late pretty uh, much through the night, just keeping track of her contacts at the commission to, to get a good sense of uh, what was going on there. And it did seem like green lights when we came in. But as has typified this Brexit process for the last four years, as you were pointing out here on the wall, nothing has been smooth. We have a half day of trade, so effectively any news flow this morning would be have to be quickly digested, 2,000 pages scanned through very rapidly and then trades made on the back of it. So it would mean an extremely busy, stressful time and the last uh, couple of hours of trading for some people out there on the markets. Would it be prudent just to wait until these markets shut for the half day, give people time to digest it? I mean, the German stock market's already closed along with Switzerland. Mm. Would it be better to uh, allow some time for this document to be fully um, dissected and uh, for markets to be given a bit of a breather at this point. Pay more to know more is the old uh, slogan, and I guess it probably stands for a lot of people. But I'd be amazed if there's much institutional activity at this hour. I mean, markets get incredibly thin as we go towards the end of the session. And of course, that also distorts some of the price movements because you can right. push the prices around a lot on low volume. I guess it depends on who we were talking about here. If you've done particularly well and you've been well positioned around the volatility and the very strong trends we had in November, December, and you've got a, a portfolio that looks fantastic versus benchmark, then you've probably signed off and you may not be chasing performance. But if you've had the opposite trade and you know, we were having a conversation with the hedge fund industry yesterday, if you're a hedge fund and you've not done particularly well this year, perhaps you've been too conservative on the bounce back, then uh, maybe you can eke a little bit more out of this Brexit trade into year end which uh, means your performance isn't as lacklustre as uh, some of the broader benchmarks. If, if I think you learn anything as an investor very quickly, uh, never be a forced buyer and never be a forced seller because uh, that's a disastrous way of, of trying to build profits in your trading portfolio or even in your investment portfolio. And for retail investors, time is your friend. It's uh, something that people should never forget as they you know, get goaded into getting involved in the action.
Yeah, I, one other point I would make, uh, we've been talking about a little bit this year about the uh, breakdown between the, the stock and uh, bond ownership, the traditional type of portfolio you would construct, investors putting more money into foreign exchange markets. Yeah. And I think this goes to the heart of some of the volatility you're witnessing here. It does have that potential to, to very much alter portfolios because of that repositioning. Investors wanted the volatility, they wanted a bit more activity. Mm. They're sort of getting it in spades in an intraday period this morning. Uh, the, the biggest problem you've got, I think, as you think about repositioning for next year is um, is just that split, as you described it because this is this has been the the Tina market in many ways over the course of the year because of the amount of uh, uh, liquidity that's been injected by central banks and governments here and it's flowed into financial assets and do you want to buy some of that negative yielding debt at this point for uh, 2021 unfortunately the consequences of rebalancing if you've done particularly well in the equity aspect of a mixed portfolio is that you might be heading in that direction but to immediately lock in a loss on a negative yielding bond just sounds like a terrible idea yeah. for long-term portfolio performance it's but extreme, isn't it? you know you pick your long term if you believe some of the mavens out there things are going to get very ugly once we get through the reflation trade of 2021 into the back end of 21 early 22 and that could be painful and that's where at least you may get your money back in the bonds strange trade this morning. Gold is actually up as we talk about trying to take one uncertainty off the table with Brexit. It's actually a, a firmer trade today. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.